It's really amazing when you think about it, how the Christian faith spread like it did from such humble beginnings. I mean, you think about it, there was one person in the first century who started it all, Jesus, and some say as many as one million believers by the end of that first century. And as we look at historical statements and church history, we clearly get the idea that that the Christian faith caught on like wildfire and spread all across the Roman Empire throughout the first and the second and the third centuries. I mean, think about it. Into that culture, 2,000 years ago, a baby was born. And that little baby grew up. And he picked 12 original disciples or followers or students that he was going to pour his life into. And he walked around a strip of land about 50 miles wide and about 20 miles long. Or actually 50 miles long and 20 miles wide. And he began teaching. But clearly, within a short period of time, Jesus' message had spread all across the world. Since that time, its book, the Bible, has become the world's best-selling book. And its focus, Jesus has been written about more than, and studied about more than any individual in human history. And from that humble beginning, millions, if not billions, have heard and followed Jesus. One source says this, centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus is the centerpiece of the human race. I am far within the mark when I say that of all the armies that ever marched, and all the navies that were ever built, and all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth so powerfully as that one solitary life. Wow! It's incredible, isn't it? And by the way, I would just say to you tonight, if you've never heard about Jesus, or if you've heard about Him, but you've never put your personal faith and trust and entrusted your life in His hands, I think today you'd have to say, he's not just some other guy. You've really got to give him a fair look. Amen? But today I want to submit something to you. There are certainly many factors that contributed to the Christian faith having the worldwide impact that it has. The good news of Christ. Several of those factors are, it's true. (laughs) And truth just seems to catch on, doesn't it? Another factor is, He rose from the dead. He's not just some dead teacher. He came out of the grave. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? The power of God has been poured out upon this message. So there's many reasons that we could say that this message of good news had had such an impact. But one of the most simple and practical for why it took off so quickly and has had such an impact is what we're going to talk about today. It's not because the great speakers. It's not because the great music. It wasn't nice marketing campaigns or business strategies. It wasn't a lot of money or nice buildings. But I believe that one of the key components of God's work in this world has been very simply what we call love. Love. It has been documented that those who observed those early Christians noticed this about those first believers. In fact, one person is quoted as saying, see how they love one another. See how these Christians, the the world around noticed that Christians had an intense 
passion and love for each other. Those early Christians were known as considering one another family. In fact, so much so, they were known as, by outsiders as even being willing to die for each other. Out of many different backgrounds, they had fellowship. They had unity. They had oneness, solidarity. They had identity together, which is what baptism represents. Baptism is we, we are all saying, I, I am one with Jesus Christ. I identify myself completely with him and with his people. They became family and they cared for one another, even to their own hurt and at great sacrifice. But you know, as I describe that picture of the first believers, it causes me to think how sad the church as a whole across the world today must look to God. In many churches, there is no sense of family whatsoever. People come and people go and people live their lives and there's never any real connection with one another. In other churches, it's even worse than that. At least that's kind of neutral. At least you just come and go and you don't receive the positive impact. But there's a negative impact. There's arguing and gossiping and politics and maneuvering. I hear it all the time as a pastor. People who say to me, you know what, pastor? I'm trying to believe that this could be new hope in my life, that this could be a new start in my life, that I could start fresh with God in this church family. But I got to tell you, I have a lot of baggage from bad experiences of churches that I've been a part of before. I don't want any more of that politics stuff. I don't want any more of that garbage. And I say, amen, 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 help us. In fact, now listen to this. Rather than the world around us noticing, God's family seems to have something that the rest of us are missing. Many times I hear the world remarking, the church is at least as bad off as I am in my life. If not worse, why would I want to be a part of that? Amen? How sad and, and, and maybe even how angry that must make our Lord. How unattractive that is to the world around us. It's no wonder that many people would say, why would I want to be a part of church? What relevance could church possibly, what difference could church possibly make in my life? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to finish our series, Lord, Help Me to Grow. And the focus is going to be on love. And tonight, we want to talk about the first part of that. Lord, help me learn how to love. And we're going to specifically tonight talk about something that those Christians really seem to experience. It's specifically called brotherly love. Now, there are many areas that many of us recognize we need to grow in. In fact, many of you have shared with me as we've gone through this series, yep, that's what I need to work on. Yep, I knew you were going to be preaching on that, Pastor Robbie, so I want to make sure I didn't miss church that week. There are many things that we recognize that we need God to help us move forward in. But the one that we're talking about tonight might be kind of new for us. It might be something that you didn't anticipate. And, and you know what? That's a good learning experience in our lives. There are things that I recognize that I need to grow in, and God comes along and says, yes, you do, let me show you how. But then there are times in our lives when God says to us, here is something you didn't even notice. I want to bring to your attention, and I want to teach you about that tonight. I think that's what we're going to do tonight. 
And as we've done all these messages, we, you know, just like we've done all the other messages, we probably need to start out with this first thought. What does brotherly love actually mean? Second Peter chapter one, verse five, it says, now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, getting serious, you've said you've trusted Christ, but in addition to your trust in Christ, add to that, add to that experience, moral excellence, character, and in your character, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, my New American Standard translation says brotherly kindness. The word that's used for brotherly love or brotherly kindness in this passage is a compound word. It's one word that's made up of two other words. The first word is the Greek word philos. Now, there were three primary Greek words that they used to express love. Eros was the word that they used that usually talked about more romantic connotations. Agape kind of had a little bit different direction to it. We're going to talk about that one a little bit more next time. Some of you have heard that word before. But this one we're looking at tonight, the first part of this word, philos, that meant to have love for someone based on an association or connection with that person. It's the kind of love or it's the kind of affection that you would have for someone who is a close friend or who is a family member in your life. Now, we kind of use this word today when the word philosophy. The word philosophy means the love of wisdom. Philos is love, and then the, the Sophia, the last part of it, is wisdom. Even closer, though, to the original meaning is when we use, have you ever heard of the term a filial relationship? That's kind of like a son or daughter relationship. Or you've heard the word affiliation and a, a close association or a close connection with someone else. Now, that was the first part of that word. The second part was the Greek word adelphos. And that word literally meant from the womb. And it was talking about a brother or a sister. Obviously, it could mean someone who is your physical brother, but Christians and even the society around used it for much broader than that. They used it to talk about someone who was a very close associate or a very close friend. And and very often in the Bible, the word brother is used to talk about the relationship between Christians with other Christians. It's used very often in the New Testament. So when you put those two words together, philos and adelphos, you get a city of about six million people in Pennsylvania, don't you? <laughs> you know, actually, the word that's used here is literally Philadelphia. They call it the city of brotherly love. You just thought that was because people were so nice in Philadelphia, right? Yeah, right. I knew there was another reason. That's literally what the word means. It means brotherly love. It means to have an affectionate, close-knit relationship with fellow believers in Christ. Okay, so let's mark this. One of the things that God wants you to grow in, that he's calling you forth to grow in is, is to learn how to have close relationships with others who are following Jesus. Now, Let's talk about why that's so important. Because like I said earlier, many of us recognize that there are certain areas of our life, yeah, I need to to grow in perseverance, I need to grow in self-control, all those kind of things, we recognize that. But we may not just automatically come up with this unless God were to challenge us with that. But the Bible gives us many reasons that brotherly love, growing in that aspect of our relationship with God, is critical. I'm going to give you several reasons, and you can write these down in your notes there. First of all, love 
God's main point. That's what it's all about. We sang that song earlier, didn't we? Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. A guy walks up to Jesus. He was an expert in the law of God. He says, teacher, I want to know your opinion. I've studied the law. What is the greatest commandment in the law of God? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Okay, if you're like me, sometimes let's just cut to the chase. All right, let's don't waste any words here. What are we talking about? The Bible can be summed up in that statement. This is God's message to us. I want you to love me. I want you to worship me completely, to give yourself completely to me. And there's another commandment that's pretty close to it. This is the foremost commandment, the greatest, but the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So loving God and loving others is really a summary of the Bible. In fact, he says it there in verse 40. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. All of God's word can be wrapped up in those statements. Loving God and loving others is really God's main message to us. Okay, so love is pretty important to God, amen? Second thing is, brotherly love is commanded by Jesus. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you. My friends, listen. These are the words of Jesus. They're in red, aren't they? <laughs> in some of, your, some of your Bibles. Jesus spoke these words. This is all God's word, but these words, can you just imagine sitting down with Jesus, being his disciples? These are some of the last things that he shared with his disciples. Can you hear him saying to you and to me and to us, if he were here tonight, and he is, a new commandment I give to you. I'm telling you, I expect you to do something. Hey, kids, when your parents use that phrase, what does that mean? Pay attention. <laughs> that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's pretty clear, isn't it? God expects me to be in relationship with others. God expects me to be learning how to love other brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, it's even kind of more pointed than that. He expects me to be fervent about that. To be passionate about that. Just to give you a couple verses, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and then I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Peter says, above all, that sounds pretty important, doesn't it? Hey, I got a lot of things I want to say to you, and this is the most important. Oh, I'm perking up enough. I'm taking notes. Above all, he says, keep fervent in your love for one another. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 10, he's commending the Thessalonians. He says, hey, he says you know what? I, should, I don't even have to talk to you about love because you're taught of God. God. God just burns it on your heart. It is so natural. It is so normal. It is so much a part of a Christian experience. When you're walking with God, I really don't even have to say this, the Apostle Paul says. And another reason I don't have to say this is because you're doing so well at it. He said this church was doing a really good job of demonstrating love for each other. But he says, even so, I challenge you to excel still more. You're doing a great job. I mean, people know about it. you guys love each other. You minister, you care, you're a family, but keep growing in that. That sounds pretty important, doesn't it? It's a command. Third thing is brotherly love helps other people to see God. John chapter 13, the next verse, after what we read in verse 35, Jesus said, now this is an incredible statement. He says, by this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also, in the same way, love one another. By this, 
all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is an incredible statement. The world will recognize us as Jesus people through this thing that we're talking about tonight. Wow. Man, I know I need some self-control. I mean, I know I need to work on perseverance. I know I need some more knowledge. I need to learn some more things about God and about my faith. But wow, I didn't realize. This needs to be a priority in my life. Amen? Fourth thing, brotherly love is evidence that you're one of God's. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. And in fact, uh, you can read the whole book of 1 John. Because all throughout 1 John, I mean, there's an emphasis on loving one another. And is that being a part of the evidence that we are truly God's children? But I just picked uh, verse 14 of chapter 3. It says, we know, hey, do you ever wonder if you're a Christian? Well, first of all, it says in 1 John, if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, then you don't have to wonder. And based on his promises, you are a child of God. But it's nice to see some fruit, amen? It's nice to see some evidence that, that I are one. Okay, well, you you can be one in verse 14. We know we can have certainty that we have passed out of death into life. That's just another way of saying I've become a Christian. Okay, we can know that is evidence in my life when we have love for the brothers. Wow. It's a big indicator. That you're saved. Wow, I never realized. I mean, seriously. Until I begin to study this this week, this is a big deal to God, isn't it? And maybe I need to put it like this for some of us. Now listen very carefully. For some of us, our impression or our perspective about church is not very positive. So when we're thinking about God, we're thinking about, I'm all for me and God. I like that thought. I like God, I want a relationship with Him, but I'd rather not have anybody else involved with that. Amen? Isn't that the way we feel? I mean, I, I'm good with God, but you know, I don't really, you know, I'm not really into getting involved with anybody else. That's the way many people feel. But we need to make sure that we're not making up our own view of God. What's that called? Idolatry. If we read His Word, we're going to see that learning and practicing love by living life together through a church family is very critical to our walk with the Lord. And we're going to talk about that more next time. Uh, next time we're going to deal with that, uh, with that whole idea of practicing because we're going to talk about agape love. So I'll leave that there for just a moment for until next time. Last thing I want to challenge you to think about is what, what this might look like. If we're supposed to, if this is what God wants for us, if it's so important, what is it? that God wants us to experience together. And I want to describe that a little bit for you because you know what? Honestly, many of us have never been in any family. Isn't that true? Many of us do not know what a family looks like. So you say, you need to be in a family. Okay, Pastor Robbie. What does that mean? Or, Maybe you've been in a family, but many of us have never been in a church family. I mean, I've gone to church, but uh, somebody in our church family, uh, one of their relatives visited a few weeks ago, and the lady told me it was such a blessing. She said, you know what? She said, this was so encouraging. that She said, I don't think I've ever heard the word family so much in church. 
I was like, wow, you know, she said, I think I heard it four or five times. I'm like, well, you know, I didn't realize that, but I'm glad you hear that. And she said, not only did y'all say it, but I think you really mean it. Isn't that kind of cool? Many people don't. What does that mean? If I ask people, do you have a church family? A lot of people will say I go to church, but what are you talking about? I mean, I don't know what you're talking about, church family. Well, let's go back to those early Christians. What was it? I mean, let's think about it. I mean, what was it they were doing? I mean, it wasn't like they had some good ad campaign out. They were just living life, and people who really didn't have any desire to affirm God or, or, or God's direction in their lives just noticed these people are different. They've got something. Well, listen to how some people describe that. Justin Martyr described it this way. We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Isn't that a transition? Hey, it used to be, I work for my money, you ain't getting any of it. I want every dime of it. And now it's, Maybe I could take some of what I have and, and help you out. Or, or I was born over on this part of the, the world, and you were born on that part of the world, so we're, we don't hang out with each other. But now, that's kind of shallow, isn't it? That's just skin. That's just geography. We're, we're, just, we're all created by God. Why would I treat you like that? That's a major change, though, isn't it? Another describing the person who has come to know God, wrote this. One of those early believers says, a person who's come to know God impoverishes himself. Now, I want you to listen to this language. I'm not necessarily saying this is you know, what you ought to do, but I just want you to hear what they did. He says, a person impoverishes himself out of love so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need, especially if he knows he can bear poverty better than his brother. Isn't this like extra? I mean, doesn't I mean? Are you with me? I'm like, well, I was thinking, you know, I might take him a meal or something. But I wasn't like, you know, I was gonna die for you. I wasn't thinking about that. And and listen, he says, and if he suffers any hardship because of having given out of his own poverty, he doesn't complain about it. When a devastating plague swept across the ancient world in the third century, Christians were the ones who cared for the sick which they did at the risk of contracting the plague themselves. Meanwhile, the others around them were throwing infected members of their family into the streets even before they died in order to protect themselves from the disease. Here's how the early account in the New Testament talks about that. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 41, it says, So the, the apostles and the Christians, they were going about, they were spreading the good news about Jesus. They were telling people, the Savior has come. Good news, good news. Your sins can be forgiven. They were sharing that good news everywhere they went. And it says, so then those who had received that word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people in one day came to know Jesus and got brought into the family of God. Now you talk about logistical nightmare. Now, we're just trying to figure out how to do three services and how to have a one and youth group and, and have plenty of room for everybody. 3,000 people, boom, deal with it. 
oh, well, they must have just said, well, we love y'all and everything, but we'll have to figure out how we're going to do this life thing. Is that what they did? They were continually devoting themselves. Do you hear that make it happen attitude? Man, I'm not looking for an excuse not to be with you. I'm trying to find every way I can. I need to connect with you guys. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Oh, and by the way, guess what was happening? Some other people were noticing that, and they wanted to be a part of it too. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Something broke out. The family of God began functioning in a miraculous way, and the world around was watching that and was attracted to that. It's just like I believe in our world today. Many times the church wants to point the finger at the world and say, oh, the world's so bad, the world's so bad. Well, the world is in a mess. But again, you and I are one, amen? We're part of that too. The only good thing that's happening in my life is because Jesus Christ came into my life. And I believe that there are many people out there in the world who aren't necessarily worshiping God right now, but who are ready and who would be willing if they just had a fair shot of seeing him acting in this world. Amen? In, in the next uh, couple of chapters, in chapter 4, verse 32, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. Isn't it neat? It's the image there. Wow, it must have been exciting to be a part of. A different description that comes to my mind. Have you ever noticed these, this, these uh, verses in the Bible called the one another's? Have you ever noticed those? There are actually, and it's according to how you number them, but there are actually about 35 to 50 verses in the New Testament that are called the one another verses. God gives us instructions. Okay, I'm trying to understand what does this look like, right? God gives us instructions on how we're to deal with one another. For example, Mark chapter 9, verse 50 says, Be at peace with one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, be devoted to one another. Romans 15, verse 7 says, accept one another. Galatians 5, 13 says, serve one another. Ephesians 4, 32 says, be kind to one another. Ephesians 5, 21 says, submit or yield to one another. After you, no. After you. Hebrews 3, verse 13 says, encourage, build up one another. There are 35 to 50 verses that specifically throughout, so go do a check, go take your, uh, go online to a Bible program, BibleGateway.com. If you want, that's one that you can, BibleGateway.com, free website you can go to and you can do a search of all the one another verses. I want to know how I should be relating to my church family. That's a great place to start, isn't it? In fact, just to let you know, there's actually a whole series of Bible studies called the 11th Commandment. 
And those verses are based on the one another's in Scripture. Because Jesus said what? In John 13, 34. A new commandment. We kind of say the Ten Commandments were a good synopsis of the Old Testament, right? Jesus said a new commandment. So somebody said, well, let's just call that the 11th one. The 11th commandment is the love commandment. And how I can learn to love other people is by looking at those one another verses. If you want to look at it from a friendship direction, write down 1 Samuel 18 through 20. Those three chapters talk about the story of David and Jonathan. We learn endearing, close relationships with fellow believers in the Lord. But as you read the New Testament, as you read the other historical accounts, here's some of the things that seem to jump out to me. These early believers had humility towards one another. There was a willingness to sacrifice for the good of others. There was a sense of community or identity. And we're together. You're my family. Amen? I mean, well, I don't just come to church and you come to church at the same place. I care about you. And there seems to be, as we read in that, uh, in that uh, quote a little bit earlier, there seems to be in them not a, well, God says it, so I've got to love them, you know, a bitterness or a resentment about it. There seems to be a real joy in it. There seems to be a real satisfaction in their hearts. You know what? Jesus says, I've loved you this way, and now I'm, I'm living like Jesus in your lives. That brings joy, doesn't it? Not a burden. There seems to be a real expectation. There seems to be a real hope in these early believers that God was doing something, and we're obeying him. And, and doesn't that give you a, a real hope, a real expectation? We're following the Lord. We're doing his work. We're being his family. Can't wait to see what he's going to do. Amen? Some of the things we've seen in our church family, people beginning to share life together. So cool. When we first started as a church, I mean, it was just a bunch of people from different places that would come and then leave. That's one of the reasons we have refreshments after the service. We wanted to encourage an atmosphere where people just linger. Just kind of hang around a little bit. Let's don't be in such a hurry. Amen? We're not just, I don't think, I don't, I don't sense it for many of you guys. We're not just punching a spiritual time clock. I know I'm supposed to be at church. I'm going click. now. okay. What else is going on? I thank God I don't sense that in our church family. I sense a real desire to want to know other people, to go out for a cup of coffee or to go to a ball game. I love to see that. Families having each other over for a meal or, or, or moms having you know, those play date things that you guys talk about where the kids get together and the moms are able to share together. Or, you know, hearing about people in our church family having one another over for the holidays. You have somebody over for the holidays, what does that say? Your family. Isn't that cool? That is such a blessing to my heart, and I believe to the Lord. People helping one another. And I tell you what, when you have a baby, and somebody brings over meals for like three nights out of the next seven days, I'm loving you, amen? <laughs> Your family. <laughs> You're in the wheel now. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I love it. I call somebody to have prayer with them before they maybe go to the doctor, have surgery, and they say, yeah, you know, I had two people stop by today and prayed with me. Or call me on the phone from work. Isn't that awesome? People hearing about people sending an anonymous love gift because they found out about a need. They don't, want any, they don't want you to know about it. They just want to know how they can do it in such a way to provide that need, to be God's servant 
where God will get the credit and you'll be blessed. Somebody go on a mission trip and somebody says, you know what, I, I wanted to go on that trip, but I couldn't go, but I'll pay for some other people to go. Sending notes, flowers, helping each other. Another thing I think about that really, you know what, I've learned a lot about family. And you guys have really taught me this. It's such a blessing. Uh, we had discovery class this morning. I shared with them. I said, you know what, when God called us to come to start New Hope, I don't know if God's going to give me this desire, but I really hope he does. I would love to be the pastor of one church my whole life. I just think it'd be neat to see the family grow up. And you guys, oh, we didn't know you guys that long. <laughs> yeah, you're in with me for the long haul, all right? So, <laughs> better start loving, all right? <laughs> but isn't that what family does? We're committed to each other, aren't we? Many of you have never experienced that. Divorce in your family or people bailing out or kicking you out of the house or whatever it might be. Family. We go through ups and downs. We've had ups and downs in our church. We've had, we've had struggles. We've had things we have to sit down and talk about. We're going to in the future. But guess what? I'm still here. You're still here. Amen? That's what family does. What an awesome thing to see. And we want that to keep growing. And let me, tell, let me share something with you. One of the reasons that we should be so passionate about this is because Jesus said, one of the primary ways, I mean, I want you to think about, would you just think about this with me? Would you pray about this with me? How are we any different than everybody else in the world? What would we be doing for each other and with each other that would make other people at your work say, wow, that's not normal. That sounds like something God might be doing. What would be happening? Would you pray about that with me? Would you ask the Lord to show you? And as he shows you, would you begin doing some of those things? And then we just, it catches on, doesn't it? It's contagious. Love, it's contagious, isn't it? In many ways, that's the story of our church family. Just regular people. Loving people and giving them God's word. I said, I said, we're not real complicated around here, amen? But I want to challenge you, church family. Can we grow? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, you're doing great. Keep going. Peter said, be fervent in this. Be passionate. You say, yeah, I need to work on perseverance. I need to work on self-control. I need to work on this or that or whatever. Would you put this pretty high up on your list of things that you want God to work on? I want to show the love of Christ by loving the people that God has put in my life and my church family. Now, I do want to give one flag of caution because the enemy will take any good thing God has and will mess it up, okay? One danger in what I'm talking about is if we all get real happy with each other and turn in, well, that's not good, is it? That's not Jesus' heart. He wants us, it's not either or, it's both and, isn't it? He wants us to bring people into the family, to love on them, to help them, and then to work together, go back out and bring others into the family. Yeah. And it's just an awesome cycle. That's why I say, you know what? 
Boy, being in a growing church is challenging. There are many challenges, but you know what? How many lives are too many to bless? I love the stories. I told you last week that three people that previously week had accepted Christ. Two more did this week. I'm not bored with that. Amen? I'm not thinking, God, give us a week off. That's a person who God created. And thank God if there's been an ounce of Jesus that they've been able to see through us. And God help us to show even more. Hey, I gotta be honest with you. Tonight, if you're one of those people that's just not really into church, I've told you before, I'm not either. I'm not just into let's punch a clock for an organization. You know, let's just do out of duty, you know, let's do this. If that was what it was all about, I'd probably be preparing my fishing gear for tomorrow morning. I'm not kidding. Well, maybe not this time of year. <laughs> I've got better things to do than just be a part of an organization. But I'm really excited about Jesus. And I'm really excited about learning about him through you. And I'm learning how to become more like him by serving in your life and in the lives of others. Tonight, is God speaking to you about some aspect of that? Is God, has God been calling you to some ministry or to some service in the lives of others, and you've been kind of resisting that? Has God been calling you to, to join into our church family? And you say, you know what, I just, I, I'm all for God and everything, but I just don't go for this church thing. Understood, we don't either go for this church thing, but we do go for family of God operating and doing his work in this world. Would you allow Jesus to call you into that? Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to be brought into that family. Are you looking for a family? How about the family of God? If you'll put your, your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, he died for you. He gave his life for you. His blood was shed, publicly humiliated. He loves you that much. Would you say, God, if you would do that for me, you must love me. I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me. I want to identify with you. Part of that is the baptism part. Some of you, you've given your life to Jesus, but you need to go public. I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I will publicly stand, especially amongst a group of peers that love me and support me. There are people all over the world that are putting their life on the line by being baptized. Because now they're publicly identified as a believer. I want to I wanna make it clear. This is my church family. I'm pulling my part of the load. I want to support it any way I can. I want to I put my flag down here at New Hope. I want to be a part of this family. Is that what you're saying? God's speaking to me about serving him in some way. Maybe some of us have served God in the past, and you've been on the sidelines for a little bit. And God's speaking to you about that. Whatever it is tonight. I don't know about you, but this one surprised me. I wasn't expecting this. Brotherly love. Wow. I'm experiencing it, but I don't know if I've been focused on it. And God really spoke to me about that this week. Is he speaking to you? Let's bow before the Lord for just a moment. Let him work in our hearts. You know, as we bow before the Lord, I just want to kind of say, you know, I thought, why is it? Why is it that I was focused on these other qualities, but not this one? I think because the others have to do with me. 
I need to grow in self-control. I need to grow in perseverance. I need to grow in understanding about God, whatever it might be. But this one is really about you. And so I need to grow in my burden for improving your life, not just my own qualities. Amen? That's what God spoke to me about. Father, tonight, Lord, I thank you for this precious church family. I thank you for the love that they have shown to me and to so many others. And that continues to grow, God. It is such a blessing, Lord, to be a part of this family. But Father, we know that you want us to grow even more. And so tonight, whatever you're saying to someone, I pray that they would listen and obey. And if someone needs to make a decision right now, that you would give them the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.